You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I am Josh Furlong, joined with co-host Robert Jackson. And as always, on Mondays, we are joined with wide receiver from the University of Utah, Solomon Enos. What's up, man? What's going on? You ready for another podcast? We ready to, to talk about all kinds of things? Always. Let's do it. Let's do it. I, I, hear, I hear you have something that you want to bring forward to us, so I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Okay, well, it ain't nothing crazy, but... For the Utah Checkdown Podcast, hot take of the week, Ooh, we're right. going to go with Elon Musk creating the monthly subscription on Twitter to get verified <laughs> for $8.99 a month for, with no ads to get verified on Twitter. Well, it, it's not no ads. It's less ads. Oh, less so ads. You, My you, apologies. Still, so you, you still get ads. It's just not as many. Okay, yeah. You, you, get pay, you pay for... Less than the ads you get now, which doesn't make sense because you can scroll right past it. What's your guys' take on that? My, I hate it. I see for me, like I would, I would be okay with like their. It's like their Twitter Blue or something that they call it, right? Like I'd be okay with Twitter Blue if it wasn't like attached to a verification system the way that they have it, right? Like if you were paying extra to be able to get extra features and it was like a different experience. Sure. I'm, you know, whatever. That's, that's same as anything else, but I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand it. It's turned into just a nightmare on Twitter. And, you know, after this, I'm going to create a, a profile. I'm going to call myself Solomon Enos and uh, do what I want. <laughs> get the check mark. <laughs> yeah, no, so did you guys see like the, the two big stories? There, there was one that somebody spoofed the Utah athletics account and they, they had the same profile picture or whatnot. They had the check mark. And it was uh, it was a tweet that said, "Hey, we're just announcing in the twenty twenty four season we're going to go back to the Mountain West Conference." And, and you know, just reading it and then seeing the check mark and everything, I was like, "Wait a second, because I didn't really know about Twitter Blue at the time." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then you look you look at the handle and it's like you know some somebody's made up account. And you're like, "Oh okay." And then there was another one where there was like a a company that got spoofed that was creating insulin for people, and they're like, "Hey, insulin is now free." And everybody freaked out and started to Twitter it because their Twitter handle was more like the company's than what the Twitter handle for the company actually was. It was like Lily and Company, or I, I can't remember the exact name, but people, I mean, it was, it, it turned into a huge deal. And I think that that, that uh, probably just uh, coupled with a, a ton of other fake accounts across the company that Twitter Blue actually ended up getting suspended. I, I don't think you can sign up for it anymore, I think if that, I'm not mistaken. And I think that company lost a ton of money in the stock market or something like that, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and, and that was nothing that they did. I mean, somebody Ooh. literally went spoofed, created an account, paid the nine bucks to Twitter Blue, and tweeted out, "Hey, insulin is now free." And it looked like a legit, you know, company uh, memo. But you know, oh man, now 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 you've ruined the company's finances in you know allowing somebody to kind of mimic and say that they are somebody else. So I, I'm not a big fan of it. it. It's already hard enough on Twitter to kind of weed through the the garbage to sort of speak like there's so much information and misinformation, especially where people are always trying to get the scoop first. And you always see those like, Oh, Hey, you know, I flipped a coin a hundred times and I got this, you know, exact same scenario. What you don't see is all the tweet, the deleted tweets before that, that he literally, he, he tweets out every scenario. I don't know. I'm not a big fan. What are your guys' take? Yeah, I agree. I do like just for that reason. Like, for example, I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw, this this tweet that was like Nintendo tweeted a picture of uh, Mario doing something he, like flipping off in the photo or something like that. I'm like, 
why would Nintendo tweet that? So I clicked on it and it had like 60 followers and it was kind of spelt wrong, like the tag. But it's like, I was, once I saw that, I was like, oh man, it's going to create issues. And I didn't even know that like their stock market, like the company stocks crap. That's bad. That's horrible. Yeah. It's not great. I, uh-uh. I'm, I'm curious your take on Elon Musk in general. Like, were you were you team Elon before with, you know, the Tesla cars and, you know, SpaceX and all that stuff? Do you care? I mean, I wouldn't say that I don't care, but it's just like, I mean, he's got a lot of money. I guess he's smart. I mean, he's, he's got the Tesla business going and he's got his little SpaceX and stuff like that, that he's involved in and stuff. But, I mean... To have Twitter as an asset, I mean, it's growing for sure, but I don't know how much he acquired for it. I know it was like he fronted some some crazy amount of money and got it or whatever, but I mean, you do you, man. You live life. You do, I mean, he worked hard for it. You do what you got to do. I mean, I just, it doesn't really affect me on a day-to-day basis, you know? See, for me, like, I, I've never really cared. Like, I know there's these huge Elon Musk lovers, right? Like, the, he's kind of got this weird following on social media. Uh, you know, he was a big promoter of the the Dogecoin. I don't know if you, you ever mm-hmm. saw that. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but uh, you know, I I tested out his uh, Tesla on one of the one of the football trips. I think it was uh, what trip was L A. or something when you guys were playing UCLA. And I yeah. get it, right? Like I get it. It's a nice car, and it it has like a lot of appeal and everything. But it's just it's just interesting to see different things like this where. You know, a social media network, do we really need somebody like that coming in and, and trying to change it? And, you know, maybe it becomes this better platform and maybe we get what we want. But right now, it's just turned more into a cesspool of, of hate and, and problems. And, and like you said, like if you're, if you're literally affecting people's bottom line and profits with, you know, uh, an important company that makes insulin and stuff like that, I mean, that, that's tough, right? Like, I, look, I don't want to mm-hmm. get into the political stuff of that, but it's just that's a nightmare to deal with just because somebody created something on Twitter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they probably tweeted that out knowing that it was going to happen because of insulin prices already. I mean, I'm like you said, we're not going to get into politics, but still like imagine if it was a company that did, well, I mean, they didn't deserve it at all, but I don't know. It's crazy. Just especially like crypto right now what's going on with like FTX and everything from (laughs) what I've been seeing. That's horrible, man. That's crazy. Huh? I said, what a huge downfall, especially for like it, the crazy thing to me is a lot of those athletes that were getting their paycheck through crypto, right? Like I think Kevin Durant was a big one where I, not necessarily through FTX, but was getting all of his salary through crypto and everything. I'm like, that just seems so sketchy, right? Like you're, you've worked your whole life to build up millions of dollars to, to do whatever. And then you're putting in, putting it in, in this, you know, just well, speculative market. Didn't Cal sell their naming rights to their stadium to a crypto <laughs> yes. company and they got paid in crypto? Yes. So now essentially the, the uh, stadium rights were sold for essentially nothing because now you look back on it, that cryptocurrency that they got is probably worthless. Well, Staples Center, right? Staples Center for forever. Yeah. We all know what a Staples Center. It's, it's iconic with as much as Kobe Bryant and everything else like that. And now it's crypto.com arena or whatever the heck it is. Like nobody cares. Like it's just... I don't know. It, it It's kind of sad that stuff like that can ruin good things. I mean, I understand Staples is still like a brand of a company, but to me, that's like when I think of L.A. or, you know, the Lakers or not as much as the Clippers, but for the Lakers, like you think of Staples Center, right? Like that's just what it yeah. is. No, for sure. Yeah, that's just I think Odell got his contract paid, paid in crypto, too. But yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to see how fast like because everyone was dumping their money into it. And it was giving you good returns at the time, but now it's just like, ooh. So I guess that's the hot take of the day. I'm glad that, <laughs> that brought up and stemmed some conversation. 
got, uh, it. You got it. Everyone, if people listening to the podcast, reply to the tweet on the podcast or, you know, what you guys think of the new Twitter blue. I know suspended right now, but what you think and then how your reaction to cryptocurrency is at the moment. Will you be investing or will you not? Let us know. Drop solo some crypto too if you need to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it might be worth a dollar by the time you get it, but you know. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. See, this is what you get to look forward to someday when you're outside of football. You just got to deal with all these these things and and try to figure out what the heck life is all about. For sure. No, it's crazy right now. Um, but yeah, definitely next week, I think we need another food hot take. So I think we need people that are listening to give us some ideas. I, I was going to go do the the cream soda, not the cream soda, but, you know, put the cream on top of the soda that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't do it. I got in line. I did it. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. Oh, you what'd went you end, what'd, what'd, you up, what'd you end up getting? I just got a regular Mountain Dew, but I... I, I was going to go try to do a fancy one. Like, I think there was one like uh, a Dr. Pepper that had cream on top of it and it was mixed with some raspberry or something. I don't know, but I didn't oh. do it. Hmm. Do it. Maybe we'll have to so do you, a taste test. We all have to go get it and then do it together. It. There we go. I'd be down. You went through a drive through and you just asked for a Mountain Dew <laughs> and you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want anything else. So you just left with a, a cup full of Mountain Dew. <laughs> Look, I didn't say the, I made a the great thing decision. is that that same drink at the gas station is like a buck, Look, but you probably paid three dollars <laughs> waiting in line. <laughs> the experience of the the drive through. Uh, we that's, make decisions, man. Funny. Look, sometimes Dan Lanning decides to go for it on fourth and one in his own end zone, and uh, no, hey, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> we should. We we can. I'm sure Solo's going to watch that one uh, quite a few times, but. <laughs> let's let's jump into football. So obviously you guys get uh, your your final win at Rice Eccles Stadium. You go six and zero this year. Uh, I believe you were six and zero last year. I think the last loss uh, came in twenty twenty. It was the game after USC. I can't remember what what that game was, but uh, you obviously have a great record at Rice Eccles Stadium. You guys have played really well there. Uh, the game started out a little slow for you guys on offense. Uh, it seems like you're a little out of sync for for some bits of it. Uh, and then you had an explosion in the second half where everything just seemed to click. You guys looked like yourself. I mean, you know, talk to us a little bit about what that game was for you, especially it being your last game at Rice Eccles Stadium and just kind of all the emotions and everything that took place there. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't really have an explanation for the first half. I mean, I knew I, I knew I had one play I messed up on, but I didn't get the, the whole play call because I was worried about personnel. I know I messed one play up, but like, for me, it was just trying to get into the flow of it because I think what it was, it was just like the routine of everything, like with with senior night and how it pushed everything up, which is like from warming up to stretch to getting tape, getting dressed. I think it put it pushed it all up. So maybe the routine kind of threw us off a little bit. I mean, we bounced back, but I don't, you know, I don't really have a good explanation for that. But um, I mean, what a better way than to go out than win, you know? especially the last game of rice cycle so you know getting the win you know sealing deal for the the home stretch this year it was good and uh you know i mean we needed the last game too you know we're, we're stacking the games up and now it's leading us to a big game this week i know we talked about kind of maybe what you thought the emotions would be like on senior night and just being able to walk out of that tunnel with the crowd cheering your name i mean was it what you expected was it a little bit more emotional than you expected or kind of you know what was what was that experience like uh, it was pretty cool, uh, you know, just coming out, running out to your name being called and, you know, shaking Mark Harlan's hand and the president of Utah uh, University, uh, you know, shaking his hand and then running out to my family and 
seeing the big car with my photo and name on it and you know they're smiling it's just crazy to think how fast time flies you know and it's just you know i'm grateful for every minute of it and you know i i think i was more emotional in the in the fact of like that this would be my last home game not only seeing the fans in the stadium filled up but just being with the guys that are i mean some guys might come back i'm not sure that's always like a couple but you know being with those guys for the last time in rice Eccles, you know in that locker room that that beautiful locker room that we had done two years ago it's just like Crazy to feel. It's crazy to think, man. I know we got a lot of game left. That's probably why I don't feel it yet. But I feel like at the end of the season, that's when I'll really get like a true emotion of like, it's really over. That's that's just got to be a surreal feeling, right? Like your whole life has been spent around this game. And then after this, it's like, you know, you can still work your hardest and do everything, but it's still kind of out of your hands, right? Like it, it turns into a business and, and uh, you know, you hope that somebody gives you a chance and, and, and that everything works out. I mean, you, you look at somebody like Britton Covey, who obviously wasn't drafted, um, he's he's found his way onto an active roster, but I mean, it's still a struggle to be able to stay in the NFL and and kind of do what you're doing. So, I mean, I I don't envy the position you're in in the sense that like right now is obviously a great time and you guys are, are competing. But uh, moving forward, I mean, that's that's a lot of unknowns and I'm sure that's a lot of uh, decisions that you have to make. So, yeah, and it's just like every time I talk to people, especially the guys that are heading out, it's just like it's crazy to think because like elementary school, you're playing youth ball. And you're like, oh, I got high school to look forward to. And then you go to high school and you're blessed enough to get offers, opportunities. And you're like, oh, I got college football to look forward to. And then now it's like, like you said, like you're going to lead, like it's a whole different animal. Like somebody has to want you on their team. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like, what's the word I'm looking for? Cause like, you're constantly knowing that you're going to play, you're going to play, you're going to play. And then now it's like, oh, like that chain is kind of broken. You're like, oh, well, now now what's going to happen, you know? But, uh, you know, I love this game so much. And, you know, it would I would be crushed if I couldn't play it anymore. I think that's just any athlete of any sport that, you know, if they love if you love the game so much, it'll crush you for someone to say you can't play anymore. And, uh, you know, I mean, just play the cards that you're dealt and just keep it moving, you know, take it day by day. And whatever happens is meant to happen. And, you know, you just go from there. What what is that NFL draft evaluation process look like? I mean, I know underclassmen they can kind of do it, but do they have specific people that come to you or people that you've talked to that that kind of give you a grade or tell you where you're at or what what does that process look like and and have you experienced that yet or where 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 does that process take place? So I have not personally experienced it. Um, I don't know if that's just like luck of the draw or what, but from my what I heard around the block is just like every year. Um, scouts and stuff will give like written grades or whatever to like the guys that think if they want to come out or if they need to stay another year, they give you projected grades. I mean, everything is subject to change. It's not like, oh, you're going third to the, through the fifth round or you're not going to be drafted or you're going first round. I mean, all that can change. Uh, but I think it's like year to year basis after the year, they get reports back and that's what makes people judge or make the, uh, make the decision to come back or leave. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have to go now. I mean, I've been here too long. So whatever they say for me at the end, we'll see. But uh, I think that's how it works at first. And then, you know, it just rolls from there into the spring or into, yeah, spring and you train and blah, blah, blah. And you know the rest. You have a favorite memory that stands out from your career at Utah. Obviously, you still have a few more games left. But looking back with it being, you know, senior day and kind of having that moment where, you know, every – everybody in the stands and watching on TV was kind of looking down and cheering on you. And 
uh, you know, I even saw on social media, there were a, a ton of people that replied to your posts and how grateful they were for you to be playing at the University of Utah and all the things that you've done that, you know, typically go behind the scenes, such as run blocking that you've excelled and actually done incredibly well on. Hey, is there like a favorite memory that stands out to you, um, whether it be, whether it be this season or your, your freshman season, kind of any of your time at the University of Utah that, that stands out to you and kind of <clears throat> when you look back on it, you kind of think like, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, my my favorite memory has to be last year when we won the championship. I would say just because of just, you know, after that whole season, what we've been through, that game playing Oregon for the second time, uh, you know, being in Vegas, being in that stadium, it just, everything I think was, it, it was just set. The stage was set so perfectly, and I'm glad we took advantage of it, and I loved every moment of it. I think that, that has to be, hands down, my favorite moment, just like, or memory just because of the confetti falling, really getting a championship to the first time in program history and like, like Pactual championship. But uh, yeah, I think that was, I think that was my favorite memory. But just you know, just to add on to you know the replies to the tweet and everything, you know, I'm just I'm grateful to have been here with such a uh, supportful like fan base and you know or supportive fan base and just you know just blessed you know wake up every day and you know, play for this great university and, you know, giving my all, not only for my teammates and my coaches, but like just everyone that's really involved with it, whether that's staff or, you know, the people that fill the stadiums up or people that watch from halfway across the country, you know, I'm just grateful for every single one of those people. And, uh, you know, if anyone's listening to this, just know that I love and appreciate you. You know, I think that's that's probably the hardest part, right? It's like you go from like everybody loving you and 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 respecting you and doing everything, and and then that just kind of is gone, right? Like, I don't want to keep digging into that, right? And I I understand like you still got a bunch uh, of games left, but uh, you know that's got to be hard. And I I can't imagine you know the position that you and a lot of your teammates are going to be in in this next couple months, where you've got to make a lot of life decisions, but. Uh, obviously, you guys are are working toward getting in back to the Pac-12 championship, right? I mean, like you mentioned, I think a couple podcasts ago, ever since you've been with Utah, you've essentially been in the Pac-12 championship minus the 2020, 2020 year, which we don't count anyway, right? I mean, that's a that's a tough year. Nobody really looks at that year as 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 a, uh, a season that really mattered as much. It mattered, obviously. You guys got game time and you got some opportunities, but. You know, this is this is an opportunity, you guys, to be back there. I think it was Kyle Whittingham today that said, you know, you guys have had your backs against the wall since the UCLA game. Uh, you know, you lose and your chances of getting to the championship game are very unlikely, but you guys have been able to do this on a consistent basis. You've done well. You're still putting up almost 40 points on average on offense every single week. You know, what, what do you like to be in this scenario where your back is against the wall, where you have that pressure? Does it is it easier to play for or kind of walk us through that? Um, I personally, I don't mind either or I think, um, you know, you got to get the job done at the end of the day. You know, we started the season ranked number seven, went into Florida and lost that game. And, you know, you know, and then we won some, we won games and then lost UCLA and then won a couple games after that, you know, it's just, you got to get the job done. I mean, yeah. I mean, when your back's against the wall, it's kind of like survival mode. And that's when you're more in tuned of, all right, like, this is all I got. This is all I need. This is all I need to do right now, you know? And, but I mean, great teams do it no matter the circumstances, you know, people don't like, for example, Bama this year, like people always expect Bama number one, oh, they're going to be undefeated, blah, blah, blah. 
I mean, they lose two games, and everyone's like, "Oh, what happened to Bama?" Bama, but Dynasty's done. <laughs> yeah, but like, there's only there's only they only have two losses, and they're still and they're playing in a good league. Like, I mean, that's the expectation that's set for them. But I guarantee you, other than the schematics and putting the right people in place, they're still going to be the same Bama team and how they practice. Maybe turn it up a notch. I don't know, but that's just like us. I mean, we just have to go back to the drawing board every week. And, you know, we have to prepare every day. Like if we're winning, we're losing, we got to, you know, take it seriously. We have a job to get done. So for me personally, it doesn't really affect me as much. Um, I just, you know, have to realize that, you know, to be a good teammate, I have to worry about my job and make sure that I'm doing what I have to do to make sure I'm putting my value into the team at that given moment. Well, I think it's a hard thing that people don't realize too, is that it's, it's difficult to win. Right. I mean, like you look at last week with UCLA and Arizona, you know, on paper, UCLA is a better team than Arizona. You guys beat them 45, 20, probably could have been 45, 10 if, if not for those last uh, few scores, but on the same time, like Arizona is still a dangerous team and they can come out there and win. And I think that's what people don't realize is like paper means nothing. And obviously it's, it's a benchmark to be able to do it, but it's real easy for these games to be wins or losses based on just a few different plays in that game. Yeah. And that's just credit to college football. I mean, we talked about it before, like college football, anything can happen, you know, and you compare college to the NFL. I mean, there's such a slim margin of error when it comes to like being ranked. Like for example, you have to be undefeated for the whole season just to be ranked, considered one through 10 on the rankings, you know, like, I mean, think how many teams have two, three losses, compared to like the NFL where teams are making the playoffs or making a run when they have like four or five. I mean, they play way more games than us, but like, I, I mean, not, how do I explain this right now? It's like they have four losses, but still have a chance for their divisions or subdivisions or whatever. But you know, it's, it's college football is tough, man. I mean, you got, if you want to be in, you got to win, you know, and it's, it's tough doing that in competitive leagues with good teams that, you know, every week, you know, you just never know what you're going to get. So especially with like Arizona, I mean, they're like I said on the podcast, like they're a great team, you know, and you can't let them you can't let them get that that momentum rolling because it's hard to stop and then roll it back in your favor. You know, and that's just for any team in the Pac-12 or in the country. I guarantee it. So. You mentioned earlier just a few minutes ago about, you know, going into Florida uh, it's no secret that this Saturday in Eugene is going to be a loud, raucous environment, probably even more so had Washington or Oregon beat Washington, but it's still going to be a, a really tough environment, perhaps your toughest since playing at this one. How does playing in the, you know, in such a tough environment in week one help you prepare for a conference game of this magnitude, knowing that, you know, if you win and can take care of business, there's a really good chance that you'll be in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, it starts with practice, you know, it starts with those installs and, and the plays that we're going to run, just knowing your assignment and know what to do and how you're going to do it. Um, I think we know it's going to be loud. You know, we're going to try our best to prepare for it, but it's not ever going to be the same because it's, you know, getting it over speakers compared to human voices screaming in a stadium is two different things. But, you know, that just falls more on the preparation part of knowing what you have to do and how you're going to do it, because when that stadium gets loud, you got to know what you're doing because you won't be able to hear anybody else. You know, you could just look at Cam giving signals or talking, but you won't be able to hear. You'll just see him mouthing words or you'll be, be able, barely be able to hear like the call. So, you know, it's just you got to know what you got to do and, you know, you got to know how you're going to do it. And I think that just starts with practice day by day this whole week. Last week, Cam decided to to say that he was going to walk as well. I think many expected him probably to leave the program after this year if you guys had a really solid year. Um, you know, he, he said that the plan is for him to, him to leave, but there's always a chance he could come back. And I'm not asking you to, 
to give us any insight on that. But when, when you look at his game versus, you know, when you, what you experienced with Tyler Huntley, obviously two good quarterbacks that, that did really well for this program, positioned Utah to be in a place where they can win at a high level. How do you, how do you judge how those two quarterbacks are uh, and, and kind of how different they are and what you guys have been able to do? You know, I think, first off, they're both amazing quarterbacks. I think they they both have a skill set that is specific to them, and, you know, they just – I mean, they're kind. I feel like they're kind of similar. I think what what really not necessarily changed, but I think if Tyler Huntley was in the offense more with Coach Ludd, like how Cam was, because Cam was here while Tyler Huntley, I think, was playing. Yeah. But Cam was more behind the scenes, learning it, you know, throughout the whole time. And Ludd's been here, I think, what three years now, four. This is his fourth. Yeah, I think four. Did he come? 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, yeah so this is his fourth. So, I mean, I think if Tyler Huntley, I think if he was in the offense more, it would be more like, because Tyler can run the ball. Tyler can throw the ball. Tyler was a leader on the team. You know, he was a dog too. And then Cam, Cam can run the ball. Cam can throw the ball. He's a dog. He's a leader on the team. You know, I think, I think what really separates them is just timing, you know, of just how when Ludd came in in the offense and, you know, the personnel that we had at the time, we had a whole different group 2019. I mean, we had a lot of seniors get go out. I mean, we had that great team in 19 and then go to 2020, get a lot of young guys, get them experience. And then 21 to this year, you know, there's really, you know, building them up and getting them more, you know, experience and playing. So I think overall, the answer to that is just timing. You know, I think timing was like, that's the only thing I can answer with. That makes sense. That, 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 yeah, it'd be interesting to see because Tyler got uh, Andy Ludwig that last year, obviously for 2019, and he had to deal with a couple different offensive coordinators changing things. I mean, he he performed. He put over up he put up over 3,000 yards that year. Had I think 19 touchdowns. I mean, things were were effective for him. But yeah, I think I think that's uh, that would be interesting to see if he were he was able to do it. And I'm curious to see if that would have changed maybe his draft status or or anything that way, and and being able to do what he does. But now. Look, he's got opportunities in the NFL, especially behind Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible spot to be in. And, you know, I think if you're a Utah fan or, or even for you solo as a Utah player, you hope that, you know, your teammate does well and can and can make it in the league and kind of showcase what you guys see on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and I mean, like, you know, everybody's situation is different. You know, like, what, like, for example, being at Utah, you never know if, whoever goes to the league, they really just pop out and, you know, show out and you're like, Oh, I never seen that when he was at Utah or maybe the guys that's bowling now, you know, they're just that consistent guy when they go to the league as well. You know, it's just always, there's always a story to it. And like you said, you never want to see your brother fail or anything like that, but you know, there has been success from, you know, the time I've been here, seeing the guys leave and make it to the league. I mean, there's guys that are still in the league right now from who I play with, you know, and there's some that aren't. I mean, it's the business part. That doesn't mean they're bad athletes or anything. Like, you see people come, go, play in the league, want to stop. You know, it's just that's just how the process is, I think, in this this late stage in football. So with Oregon coming up this week, uh, obviously this is a, well, quote-unquote rematch. I mean, you guys owned the last two matches that you had, obviously, in, in pretty convincing fashion. Obviously a different team this year, different head coach, different personnel. Uh, I know you you haven't probably fully gotten into the film yet, and that'll come as this week develops. But just initially, from what you've seen this year, what what do you think is is kind of different that that at least kind of stands out in your mind? 
Uh, well, I know they got the transfer Bo Nix from Auburn. So the offense, and I mean, they got some good receivers over there, like Chase Cota transfer from UCLA. They have that Franklin kid. Um, you know, they got a good offense and, you know, their defense, same thing. I mean, they got uh, the DB that transferred from Colorado. Uh, I think his name's Gonzalez, I believe. Um, they got a couple guys in and, you know, their head coach is really good. Came from Georgia last year. And, uh, you know, they're a good team. I mean, they're, I wouldn't say they're as much different as last year, but I mean, they're good this year as well. You know, just they were good last year too, you know, and I don't think much has changed this year. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's going to be, it's going to be a tough game. You know, we were going into Eugene. It's going to be loud. This is my first time going to Austin Stadium, but I know just from stories and what people are saying, it's loud and it's crazy. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a great environment and, you know, it's just, we have to prepare every day this week, like it's the championship, and you know, go out there and lay it all out on the field, and hope we hopefully come out with the W. Um, but yeah, by any means, I mean this is probably going to be the toughest game. Uh, but you know, we're up for the task, and you know, it's going to take a great week of practice and preparation, you know, to get up there and do what we got to do. Do you feel like you guys in games like this, do things change in terms of of the offensive schemes or different things that way, or is it? each week just kind of a different wrinkle that, that you present or, or do you try to mix and match things based on the opponent that way? I think it's a little bit, of, it plays in like everything plays into it factor wise. I think personnel, um, the defenses that they run, who we have, I think it all just takes like a, you know, a little bit of a shift because I mean, there's strength and weaknesses to every team, just like people, how people scout us. I mean, there's strength and weaknesses to every team, offense, defense, special teams, whatever you want to call it. Um, we try to minimize those weaknesses as much as we can. Um, but, you know, every week it's just, I mean, there's a tweak here and there, but, you know, it's going to push lead, tries to put us in the best position possible to make most amount of plays and, you know, make smart plays and efficient plays at the end of the day. I kind of want to get your take on uh, Tavion Thomas. Obviously, you know, he had a tough year. Uh, not what he was probably expecting. And, and obviously, as we've talked about before, we're not going to get into all the nuances of, of why Tavion wasn't playing or anything that way. But uh, from your standpoint, and I, you know, I know that you're, you don't necessarily have um, amazing re- relationships with everybody on the team. So I don't want to say like, oh, you're the best friends with Tavion or anything like that. But like, how, how important was it for you to be able to see something like that? Do you, do you kind of root for it on your own? Or kind of how does that relationship work? I mean... You know, when you're with, you know, these guys every single day, it's like you just build that bond and you don't want to ever see someone go through stuff. And, you know, I when he was going through his stuff, I never changed who I was or especially to him. You know, even when um, and everything started rolling for him again, you know, I'm just I never changed up how I was. You know, I was like, you know, like, let's go. Like, you know, I'd always, you know, gas him up. And I mean, he didn't need it, but. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you never want to see your brother go through that. So I was always there when I can to support him. I mean, I'm not going to bother him and be like, oh, you good, you good, you good. Like he'll speak when he wants to speak. And then when he makes plays and when he's at practice, you know, just like how anybody, everybody else on the team would be. You know, if anyone makes plays or during practice, like you always gas them up, motivate them, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's good to see him back out there Saturday night, you know, seeing how he, how he was running the ball. I mean, I don't know how many rushing yards he has. Close to 200, I think. Yeah, it was right? like 180. He had yeah, one eighty two touchdowns, right? Often, or he had more rushing yards than the entire Stanford team had total yards. So, yeah, I mean that's kudos to our defense and kudos to him and our O block, you know, our O line. 
Um, but it's good to see him out there running around again, you know, not really worrying about much, just playing the game, you know, and it's good to have him like that. And, you know, we're going to definitely need him and, you know, everybody else this these last couple games. I mean, this is going to be a big push, you know, and, uh, you know, it's good to have everybody firing all cylinders. Glad to have him back and, you know, he's doing good and, you know, building upon that. Well, Solo, we, uh, we appreciate your, your time today, uh, as always. I mean, I think this is always a great opportunity to be able to get your insight. Uh, we have, obviously, two more games left in the regular season with uh, what a lot of people have called this weekend as kind of the semifinal matchups in, in the Pac-12. Uh, the game between you and Oregon, and then obviously USC and UCLA is going to define a lot of what could be for the Pac-12 championship game. So uh, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for, for the conference to be able to move forward and, and be able to kind of see what's going on. But we, we appreciate your insight and, and what you're able to do. No, thanks for having me, man. It's just getting down to crunch time now. So, um, you know, hopefully next Monday we'll, we'll hop on the podcast with another good hot take and some good news following the weekend. Uh, but no, I, I appreciate y'all every week, you know, good conversations, good times. And again, if anyone's listening to this, make sure y'all subscribe, share it. Um, you know, we're trying to be the best podcast in Utah. So Make sure y'all reply with any hot takes, any questions, any ordeals that y'all got going on. We'll we'll give it a talk on here. So I appreciate y'all. Yeah, Thanks. thank you, Solo, and best of luck on Saturday against a really good Oregon team. And hopefully the offense can put up forty plus points. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Yeah. Have a good one. See ya. Right, see ya. You hear that, Blockcast Bye. listeners? We're coming after you. We're coming, Steve Bartle. He's got you, nothing on us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the best podcast in Utah. Yeah. So, so Utah has has a tough task ahead of them, and, we, and Solomon provides some awesome insight, and he's he's provided really great insight all season long. We we thank him for coming on. Uh, but th- this Oregon offense is 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 scary, right? And and Utah, and I say that kind of thing. And Jake, Utah is going to have to score forty plus points. This isn't going to be like last season. Mm-hmm where Utah no. dominated Oregon. I think they gave up seven the first meeting and then 10 in the championship game. It's not going to be like that, you know, or, or was it the other way around? They 10 and seven, either way, uh, it's going to be a high scoring game and you're going to, it's going to be down to, you know, can your defense create those one or two stops and can your offense keep uh, putting up the points and it's going to be a fun, fun game. Um, that this Oregon, everybody keeps pointing back to that week one versus Georgia. It was literally their first game against a very good opponent. And it is, it was basically a, a home game for, for Georgia. It was in Atlanta at a neutral at the, uh, uh, the, where the Falcons play. So technically it wasn't, you know, a home game in Athens, but it, it might as well have been right. <laughs> It's a short little drive for 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 fan, Georgia fans to be able to go to that game. If they play that game again today, it's a, it's I think Georgia probably still wins, but I don't think that uh, you know Oregon you know pitches a shutout essentially or just gets three points. I think it's a far more competitive game, and so Utah has its work cut out for them. This is the the game other than the the USC game that's kind of been circled on everybody's calendars, and essentially this is what is going to decide the the Pac-12 championship game. If you I. You haven't I've posted an updated flow chart, but I assume if Utah wins this game, they're in. That's that's the assumption. I've, I've gotten a lot of people asking me to to update the flow chart. The, the reality is now is because Washington beat Oregon, that changes it a little bit. There is a chance that there could be a five way tie uh, to get into the Pac twelve championship game. So so there are some some changes uh, when I a made five that five way tie. Even if Utah wins, 
I don't think that's the case. I need to, like I said, I need to get into it. I'm going to try to work on that today. Um, the the flow chart that I created was assuming no chaos, meaning that all of the favored teams win, and then we just looked at flipping the results of uh, UCLA and USC versus you know Oregon and Utah. So chaos ruled the day last weekend with UCLA losing chaos. and uh, Washington winning. So. And yeah, and we can get into that in more detail. That uh, Arizona win was was shocking. I yeah. mean, yeah. I was uh, following updates via Twitter and seeing the uh, kind of the outcome portrayed because it was going on at the same time as the Utah game. And yeah, I, I was completely shocked. I was like, yeah, I mean, they're down fourteen nothing. They're going to come back. They're going to win. You know, it's just kind of a slow start. Maybe they're overlooking that. You know, lo- looking ahead to USC this week. And then all of a sudden it's game over and man. Uh, and as far as the, the Washington Oregon game, you, you, we talked about this very briefly at the start of the podcast, like fourth and short, if Bo Nix is in, it's a, you're going to get the first down, right? Yeah. But yeah. because you have a backup quarterback in, maybe he put too much faith in, in, in running that play thinks that you can get a yard, the, the running back slips and suddenly Washington's already a field goal range without even having to to drive the ball so a costly mistake for a young head coach is first time head coach right so you would expect some of those growing pains um but you know with that aside i think he's done a tremendous job turning around oregon i I, I say turning around also kind of tongue-in-cheek because they were already a good program but they're back to i would say kind of the allure of what chip kelly built now they kind of lost it a little bit with uh uh, when Chip left to go to the NFL, they kind of got a little bit back with Mario Cristobal, but couldn't win the big game, right? Um, and so I think that Dan Lining has provided a, a spark for for Oregon, but Washington provided, you know, did enough to win. And if you were to look at the tape and you were to see a weakness in that Oregon defense, it's through the air. Mm-hmm. Can Ken Rising have a big game? You know, can Devon Ville, Solomon Enos, Dalton Kincaid, which was amazing to see him healthy already. Uh, back out there against Stanford. Can, can Utah's receivers and, you know, Cam Rising have a big day through the air? And that's going to be the difference here is because, uh, I, you know, as good as Utah's defense has evolved, they're going to give up their own to Oregon. Oregon is just too good of a team to hold to, you know, 21 points even, I would say. I think this is going to be a 30 or 40-point uh, shootout um, for both teams going back and forth. And can that offense – keep consistently driving the ball down the field and, uh, you know, putting the ball through the air. Uh, you, you mentioned this as well in, in talking to Solo. It was it was amazing to see Tavia back to the 2011 Tavion. You know, it, it never really seemed like he got into a rhythm this season. You know, he was struggling. Um, and then he had the off-the-field issues. Um, it was great to see him back to – the, the Tavion of 2011 where you know if 2021. it's 2021. 2011, wow, I'm really dating myself. Really That's twice in a row, 10 years. I, 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 but I mean, he, he was just running with that force. And granted, part of that is probably the opponent, right? You know, Stanford probably gave up a little bit uh, once the, the game wore on and, you know, they consistently were going three and out on the offense themselves. They were, they were getting tired. But, I mean, for you, I mean – how important is is it for Utah? Because historically, they've always been that run first team, and in the past couple of weeks, it's kind of been oh, we're we're going to throw the ball more, 
than we've probably wanted to because we don't feel super confident in the running back room because there hasn't there isn't that that workhorse back like a John White or Dev, Devontae Booker or uh, a Zach Moss. Now that you have Tavion back 100%, how how big is that going to be for Utah's chances? You know, going forward, especially in you know a hostile road environment where. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing here is it gives Utah some diverse or yeah some diversity in its offensive scheming. Right, I, I think for most of this season, Utah's had to find uh, a lot of different ways to be able to do it. They've been not quite more pass heavy, but they've done more passing than they usually do, and you know at this point in the season, um, and they've found ways to be able to do it. But now, now that you have an, uh, an offense that can seemingly go through Tavion, right? Like you've got a guy that can get you some chunk yardage. I mean, you see when he runs, he runs with force, and he's getting about four or five yards almost every single time. And I understand that's the Stanford defense, and, and there's been some other teams that, you know, you could, you could do that. But I think that the difference here is, is now you've, you've shown on tape, especially one week of tape, to Oregon that like, hey, Utah can be a very dangerous team. They can turn on the afterburners really quickly and and score points, right? Like the game was 14 to 7 at halftime and they won 42 to 7. Like that shows that they have the ability to do it. And and if you can show that that Tavion's healthy and maybe he can be dangerous, maybe that changes the the outlook of that game a little bit in the sense that okay, in the past maybe you didn't have to be as dialed in with the run game with Utah, right? You, you knew you had to still be sound because Utah can still beat you in the run game, but if as long as you beat like the you know your pass defense was solid and you were able to to kind of stop Vele or Kincaid or Solo, you were going to be okay. Now now you've already shown on tape that once Tavion is on that field and now that it seems like he's back a hundred percent, this becomes a far more dangerous Utah team than than what Utah has shown much of this season, right? And I think that that bodes well for Utah. I'm not saying that this means that Utah's going to win or that changes the outlook necessarily. I think that's still a very difficult game. Um, it's, it's interesting that going into this last weekend, ESPN's FPI, their football power index, which, you know, you can love and hate it. And it's, it's at times it sounds like the stupidest thing. And then at other times it looks great. Quite honestly, it actually tracks fairly well. Um, it's, it's not the best metric, but at the same time, it, it tracks well enough. Uh, they had U- uh, Oregon as almost a 54% uh, favored team in that game. It's still kind of a pick game but up to about a 54% chance odds that they win that game. Oregon loses to Washington, and that has changed. It's now Utah almost 52%. So it's interesting how that one week of, of, of you know, tape and game has changed a lot of how that works. And, and, and that's not factoring in quarterbacks or different anything. It's more statistical than anything. But I think it shows what level this could be at, where this could be another game for Utah like it was against USC, right? The, the teams that are going to make the turnovers, that's going to hurt. You've got to have this shootout-type game. It's the defense that shows up and, and, and really plays, and, and maybe Utah's defense has taken those strides, right? Kyle Whittingham today said that, that the defense is, has drastically improved, and it's not just because of the opponents, he says. It, they've improved in their tackling. They've improved in their assignment soundness. They've, they're more mature, right? Like they're seeing more tape, and they're seeing more live action that these guys can do it. So to me, that game is going to be a really fascinating game. Like we could come into it thinking it's going to be a shootout and it's a low-scoring game, but – it, it, you know, there's there's a lot of as- facets to this game that that really make this interesting, and and you know the best team is going to win that day. I really believe that. So it'll be it'll be a fun matchup, and, and one that we're all going to have to stay up super late for. The kickoff time is announced for eight thirty. <sighs> um, so 
you know, take a nap midday, whatever your pregame routine is. Can we be done uh, with these? Like this, that was Utah's third six day window where we figured, you know, we wouldn't find out till Sunday. We didn't know today. They get another six day window. It's their fourth straight in a row where we don't know what these kickoffs are. And I understand it's, you know, based on the TV networks, but this is getting really old. And do we really want an eight thirty kickoff for such a vital game? No. Um, and, you know, part of this is due to the, the legacy TV contract that George Klebikov has to work with that yeah. was uh, signed by the, the president's university presidents back, you know, probably a decade ago, over a decade ago, that says that, hey, if you have the first pick, then you get exclusive rights to that window. So um, Fox has the first pick. They pick the USC-UCLA game, which means that no other Pac-12 game. I think I think it can be on the Pac-12 network, if I'm not mistaken, but no other network TV game can yeah. be on at the same time. And you're not going to so that, that kind of eliminates that entire window. So now you can either go before that, but then ESPN has all of this inventory of you know ACC and Big 12 and even Big 10 games that they're still providing. So it's like well, it makes sense that you know if you're in the Pac-12, then you get shoved to late at night. It does a disservice because by 10:30, you've already lost you know, a fourth or maybe even a third of your potential audience with the East Coast going to bed. I, uh, I, I doubt a more, lot of East Coasters are watching the, you know, watching the Hawaii test, so to speak, where <laughs> if the game doesn't kick off until nine o'clock. You know, that was the, the Utah State game last week. So I feel like, yeah, it, it is going to be a big game. And it's unfortunate that it is super late. Um but that's kind of what the, the reality is of the, the current TV situation. Can that change going forward? Yeah, it sure can. Um, I think that uh, we're going to find out, uh, you know, according to our sources, uh, John Canzano and John Wilner, well, we should find out soon. I, I think the contract negotiations are underway and we should find out, you know, in the, in, you know, probably a month or two, what the TV situation is going to be, but probably not for next year, but maybe the year after. Um, we'll at least know well, UCLA's we'll decision by the end of this week, right? Uh, on the 17th right. is when the Board of Regents is, is meeting. But, so. and, 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 and let me save everybody the trouble. They're, they're going to go to the Big oh, sure. Ten. I mean, the, but the question is... is the is, odds aren't, aren't it, there. The, the odds aren't in, in, in favor of them staying. But is, the, the, is, is Cal going to be subsidized through this? And I think that, yeah, I oh, think yeah. that they are. I think that they... The Board of Regents feels, subs- feels kind of blindsided by the decision that uh, UCLA made. They kind of feel like it was made without them even being involved. And, and you know, that's, you know, U- USC can do this because they're not a private, ins- or they are a private institution, and they're not, they're not taking public education funds, whereas it's the opposite for UCLA. So they're kind of su- uh, subjected to, you know, following the rules um, and, you uh, the, the regulations that are set up by their board of regents. So yeah, we, we will get an answer there. I can already guarantee that it's going to be, they're going to go, but maybe Cal gets some money out of this that they wouldn't otherwise have seen. And maybe that sets them up for, you know, kind of changing things. So the, the two programs that kind of need a, a rework, it, you know, if you're looking at Pac-12 football is Cal and Stanford. Stanford has obviously taken a huge hit with the introduction of the transfer portal um, they have a tougher time. They, I mean, I, I didn't realize that to get into Stanford as a transfer, you literally just have to apply, get accepted, and then go ask David Shaw, hey, can I play football for you? Like everywhere else, it's the other way around. Like, hey, yeah, you come play for us. We're going to take care of everything for you. 
to get into Stanford, it's the other way around. You got to apply. You got to get accepted, which is tough enough, right? Yeah. And then, and then you got to go talk about football. And so, well, and I most mean, of those guys have to be graduate transfers too. Not always, right. but like, and and a graduate well, I mean, program just as a transfer. Yeah, it's it's going to be incredibly difficult just to get in. So that they've kind of set themselves up for, um, you know, just needing some sort of uh, spark. And we saw it with, uh, with Cal, Cal fired its offensive coordinator as well as, as its offensive line coach over the past weekend. It's a cutthroat industry, but these coaches are well compensated. That's the risk that they take. They're getting paid, you know, a ton of money. So don't feel bad for these coaches that are getting fired because they're, that's kind of the risk that they take. That's they're getting the uh, rewarded for that as well. So hopefully the the coaches can't find uh, uh, other jobs elsewhere. That there seems to be um, more of a, a more of a pass. Like once you're in the industry, I feel like you can bounce around and find another job somewhere else fairly easily. I think the the harder part is to get in, get your foot in the door. Uh, but uh, and we'll we'll see. I think that. Uh, the 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 shape of the Pac-12 going into the weekend was amazing, right? You had five teams in the top 25. Now you have six, but the positioning isn't as well. We you saw Arizona go into the Rose Bowl and beat UCLA. We saw Washington outlast Oregon in a very exciting game to watch, and that kind of puts a little bit of a tarnish on you know the Pac-12's resume. Can they get into the playoff? Now it all kind of sits on USC. They're kind of the last remaining hope. The team that you don't and, want to be in that position simply because they're leaving you. Yeah, I, I, there there is a little bit of that too, right? Like um, I was talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, "Hey, you know, as long as Utah beats USC and UCLA, like you don't want to, you don't want them to be the ones that win the Pac-12 and then leave." Right? Like, but that, that's kind of just like the just the human emotion that comes out of it. You don't want. Like the people that say, "Hey, we're too good for you. We're going to go play ball over here and then win the whole thing." Like that's that's the last thing that you want as a Pac-12 fan. So uh, we'll see uh, as it's shaping up right now. If if Utah is able to hold serve against Oregon and USC beats UCLA, which I think that they they will, that could be a very exciting game down in Vegas um, between. Uh, you know, two teams that fought neck and neck and Utah was able to outlast them on its home field. I'd imagine that USC is probably a seven-point favorite on a neutral site, but we'll see. Um, um, A lot of football still to be played. Utah still has to um, beat Oregon, which is a tall task, right? And then they have to hold serve against Colorado, which, as we've seen, uh, anything can happen in the Pac-12. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you just need to be able to take care of business. And uh, for Utah to be in this position, considering everything that's happened with all the injuries that they've had with the kind of the I'm not a letdown loss isn't the right term, but it kind of feels like that in that week one, right? Mm-hmm. Where you felt like going into the season, like, man, this could be a special year. And then right out of the gate to a Florida team that had so many uncertainties, we, we just didn't know how good they were going to be. turns out that they're okay, right? They, they beat South Carolina over the weekend. They're not a bad football team, but they're not, they're um, not great particularly either. good yeah they're, they're middle of the road sec team that that's a game that utah should have won and if that's played on week two or week three maybe utah is able to win even if it's at the swamp just because it was week one there's so many unknowns just kind of like the oregon georgia game having it be week one makes it that game harder um right out of the gate and for georgia uh that was so Dean Landing having to go play his former team right so like if you if you know anybody's weaknesses 
wouldn't you rather like if you're Kirby smart, you know exactly what Dan Lanning's thinking when he's thinking it because he's literally worked on your staff for the last however many seasons. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because if that game is played again today, you would imagine that it's closer. If Utah plays Florida again today, I would imagine that Utah wins. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so, uh, it's, a, we'll it's, it's weird. I mean, it's 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 kind of looking at these games where you know everybody's going to have these losses. Everybody's going to have these things, other than those top four teams that that have still remained undefeated. It, it, it's tough, right? Like you look at a team like Notre Dame that's that's managed to beat. You know, Clemson and North uh, North Carolina, two teams that are in contention for the ACC title, uh, and it, it's it's just kind of weird how these things go. Because for a while, you look at Notre Dame and they weren't a good team, and they're still kind of a good team, but they're not. And it, everybody's going to be able to point to a lot of these things. And I think that the point there is is just you know you've got to roll with it. You've got to do what you can. Sure, you know, a playoff chance for Utah is out of the picture. Um, and, I, you know, I think that was still a tall task to begin with. You have to pretty much go undefeated an entire season, and, and that's tough. But, but like you mentioned, like to be able to do that with, uh, you know, a lot of the turnover in the running back room in terms of, you know, health and, and who's playing and who's not. You also lose your star tight end in, in Brent Keithy. Uh, Dalton Kincaid obviously goes down with an injury that kept him out for a little while. Uh, it Utah has been able to do well. And, 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 you know, I want to point out, too, that Utah was on their third string center on Saturday and you didn't miss anything. Right. Like that was his first start in in. Well, it wasn't his start, but like he came in there for a majority of the action. And that's the first time he's ever done it. And so you're sitting there, you're looking at a lot of these guys that are injured, they're banged up, and, and Utah's still finding a way to do that. Does that mean that the result on Saturday against Oregon is going to change? No. But I think that the point there is that, you know, Utah's finding a way to be able to fight through that adversity. They're kind of doing it in a, in a low-key way because I think UCLA, USC, and Oregon have stolen the attention from the Pac-12, and Utah's just back there lurking with two losses saying, you know what, we're still just as good, if not better, than some of these teams, Right. And so I think this this turns into a big statement uh, win for Utah if they can do it. Uh, it. It turns into kind of what it was last year in, in a lot of respects where uh, you come into that Oregon game and everybody has a lot of high praise for Oregon, especially this year with what they've done. And if you go out there and you beat them, I mean, that just shows that Utah has been able to, to kind of maintain that level. Uh, they've been able to, to really plan on it. And I think you'll see that, that, that conversation change around Utah where the national media will – pick up on it a little bit more. I mean, it's hard to say that they're not being given attention given that they're the number 10 team in the country this week, but it, it, it's an interesting move to be able to see that, that, you know, a lot of the attention is still on the playoffs, right? Everybody wants to be able to talk about the playoffs because that's the natural inclination at this time of the year, but you miss a lot of storylines, right? You miss a lot of teams and I'm not, you know, trying to advocate for Utah in this regard. I'm just saying there's a lot of good teams out there that, that are doing a lot of good things that, you know, if you just go and enjoy the game of football, you can have a lot of fun. And that's partially why, you know, expanding the playoffs, in my opinion, helps because you get more of that where we're not so caught up in, in who's going to be in the playoffs. It's more who's caught up on who's going to win the conference. And I think that's the more important thing. And you get to see kind of those, those games, right, where that flow chart that we talk about and, and, and being able to see it, those things matter now. You get to see who's going to be in that championship game and you can have some stumbles along the way, right? As long as you get back into that game and win it, you're okay. So, look, this is this is a great opportunity for Utah. I don't I don't want to sit here and say that you know it needs to be the end all be all. If Utah loses this game, it's still a great season, right? It's not maybe the expectations that everybody had, but uh, I think for Utah to be in this position with with you know four potential conference championship appearances in a five year period 
when they joined the, the league just over 11 years ago, 10 year, uh, 12 years ago they joined, but they didn't play their first season until 2011. So it, it, it's pretty phenomenal the work that Kyle Whittingham's done. And, and you know, as a fan of Utah, if you've been a fan, especially these latter few years, I mean, it, it, it's, been, it's been quite the ride for you. And, and been a fun one, right? You know, to to be able to watch Utah be as successful as they have been. So that that's obviously the uh, the big game for for Utah fans going into Eugene. Uh, I, I'm gonna, but you don't have to go through our official predictions per se because it's so early in the week. But I, it, you know, just looking at this game on paper, I think it's going to be a high scoring affair, and uh, whatever defense can get a, a stop or two at a critical time, or whoever has the ball last, I see prevailing in this one and. You know, it seems like whenever I think a high-scoring game is going to happen, it's going to be like ten to seven or something. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I mean, is there anything that uh, out of the ordinary, outside of you know, I, I know that Bo Nix, you know, kind of left the game, but he was able to finish. I I would anticipate that he's going to be ready to go. Uh, is there is there anything that kind of gives you pause to say that maybe this won't be as high-scoring as we anticipate, or or what do you kind of see happening in this one? No, I mean, I think if Bo Nix plays, especially if Bo Nix plays, I think this is a high-scoring affair. I mean, I think there's potential that one of the defenses could really just step up, and maybe both do. Um, but I, I see this being a higher-scoring game in, 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 you know, like I said, similar fashion to USC where, where teams really have to uh, play good ball. They've got to be able to have a high-functioning offense. doesn't mean it has to be the whole time, but I, I, I can't imagine a scenario where this game ends in the 20s um, at the very least, it's high 30s in my eyes. So, uh, you know, going into this game, I, I would have easily picked Oregon. I thought they were, you know, going to just roll through it. Uh, didn't mean Utah wasn't going to be competitive there, but I just kind of felt like Oregon had more of the men- momentum. Um, but I'm, I, admittedly, like I'm, I'm torn, right? Like going into when we when we pick our our pick and picks for you know this, I I I'm still kind of torn. I, I I didn't expect to, you know, kind of be in that middle of the row right now. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that, uh, uh, you know, ha- having a healthy Tavion and watching the defense progress kind of makes me lean a little bit more towards, you know, liking Utah in this one. But granted, this is their toughest environment that they'll have faced since that first week in uh, the Swamp. How will that ha- have better prepared the team? Well, we'll find out, you know. Um Rarely does Utah come out in these big games, wide-eyed, you know, kind of deer in the headlights type of look because, you know, preparation is number one, two, and three on Coach Whittingham's list of, you know, getting the team prepared. Um, kind of an oxymoron there, but <laughs> it, 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 preparation is key, right? Be, be like, prepared you know, to be prepared. No, I got be, you, be prepared to be sense. prepared. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what they're going to do. So it doesn't mean that Utah's going to win. I mean, and it doesn't mean that Utah won't get blown out either. Um, Oregon is very good offensively. And a lot of what improvements we've seen from Utah's offense, to be frank, has been the opponent hasn't been as good. You know, you faced outside of the, maybe the Washington State team, your, the offenses that you faced haven't been, you know, quite good, especially Stanford. So um, we'll see. I mean, this is a, their big, their first big test outside of the, uh, the UCLA game. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, the other big game in the Pac-12 is obviously the USC at UCLA game that we're going to be keeping an eye on. Um, not quite as as much of firepower as it may have had up until last weekend with you know UCLA losing at home to Arizona and you know especially the Utah game with you know Oregon losing to Washington. Both of the games they're still important, but it's not the monumental weekend that we once thought it was going to be. 
What do you see happening in this one? Because I, I don't know if I have you looked at the Vegas line for the over under, it might be a hundred points. And and I I still might be inclined to take the over in this one. I'm with you. Like it's one of those games where I don't think there's any opportunity where that line is, is low. I just looked it up. It's 82 and a half. And I, I would still take the over on that. I just don't like, sure. UCLA had a, a hard time scoring against Arizona. And I think Arizona's defense was probably the best it's ever been in the last, I don't even know how long. Like, it's been a long time since we've seen anything like that. And so I think UCLA kind of ran into a a trap situation that way where Arizona was just a better team that day. But I just don't imagine these two defenses being able to really stop the high-powered offenses of uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Caleb Williams, right? Like, you've got two quarterbacks that are considered some of the best in in the country, both of them rank in the top 10 of total QBR. They've, they've been able to be effective. They're both, they can escape with incredible ease. Uh, you know, it'll be really fascinating to watch these two quarterbacks go at it. But I mean, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if this game ends in like the 50s, right? Like both teams scoring at a high rate, one maybe high 49, 48, somewhere around there. I don't know. I just, this, this game has shootout written all over it. And I think it could be a really fun game to watch. Um, but watch, it'll be, like we've said, it'll be one of those games where neither team can score because they're just inept or whatever, and and we're all disappointed. So don't bet on this game uh, if if you really are inclined to, but I, I, I think it'll be a fun matchup regardless. Yeah, don't don't bet. <laughs> Lesson learned. Um, let's 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 put, let's do a little pivot here, and, and you know we're we're going to talk a little bit about women's basketball because Utah's program. And Lynn Roberts is doing something that hasn't been done in quite some time. Utah is coming in in the new AP poll at number 25 in the women's basketball poll. What, I mean, what, I mean, I, I saw the other day that they won like 90 to 20, like what, what is going on with that program and, you know, what can, can kind of fans expect as far as the you know, Pac-12 play for, for Utah women's hoops? Yeah. The, you know, this, this women's team uh, has done a phenomenal job of, of being able to own up with what they've got. Right. Last year before the season, Lynn Roberts kind of retooled her entire mindset. Right. I think you see that with a lot of coaches, they kind of get in their mindset, how they coach, how they do things. And they just kind of steam forward. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, so be it, you probably lose your job and you're on your way. What Lynn did is she legitimately went through, you know, her coaching contacts and, and, and talk to people that included Stanford head coach, um, who is clearly the dominant head coach in, in all of the PAC 12. And they talked, right? Like, and they, she retooled, she reached, you know, did everything with her, her program. Um, she obviously had talent coming in as well. And, and, and that helps. So recruiting was a, a big factor there, but there was a lot of things that just kind of converged together where she changed her philosophies and different things. She, she, you know, helped this team kind of maximize its potential and last year they had a great run. They get to the second round of the NCAA tournament, which hadn't happened since I think 20 or 2009 was the last time they got to the second round. Um, and so it's, it, you know, they're doing great things, but now they're trying to build off of that, right? They have the core of their team there. Gianna Neepkins is kind of the one that everybody turns to, but they bring in a USC transfer in Alyssa Peely, who is just a force down low, man. I mean, she she just dominates. And, and if she's going... There's not a lot that that any team can do against her. Uh, she can also shoot from outside. Uh, you know, they, she can do a lot, and she's going to be a ba- big factor for Utah moving forward this season, especially with uh, Peyton McFarland out. She's been injured. She tore her ACL last year. 
she's getting back into it and should be ready to go for conference play. So, look, if you're a fan of basketball, I know like a lot of people generally gravitate to the men's sport just because that's kind of what everybody gravitates to with the, the you know the national broadcast and everything. But if you want to watch a fun team and you're a fan of Utah, I mean, check them out. I'm not here to plug Utah by any means, right? Like I cover the team. But I think if you do want to watch a team that is is going in the right direction, they you know have a lot of talent on their team. Yesterday, I think it was, they finished with 17 three-pointers made. I mean, this is a team that can shoot and they can do a lot of damage. So go have fun. Wednesday, I believe they play Oklahoma, which I think they came in at number 16 in the country. So this is going to be a team of uh, a game of two top 25 teams. And it'll be kind of fun to see how this shakes out. And um, if you're a fan of Utah programs, uh, you know, this, this is the game that you want to pay attention to. I'll, I'll do the plug for you. So, yeah, Utah is playing number 16, Oklahoma, a top 25 matchup Wednesday night at the Huntsman Center. Make sure you're going to support uh, Utah women's basketball. It should be a great environment and, you know, su- support the team that uh, I think there's four teams now in the in the, the women's basketball top 25. And Utah is one of them. And uh, if you're one of the first 500 fans, I'm just reading the, the, the Twitter handle for Utah women's basketball, you get a white Utah long sleeve shirt. So go show up, support, get some free swag from the University of Utah. And it should be a great time. Now the men uh, play tonight. Uh, up at the Huntsman Center, they're going to play Idaho State. Utah is two and zero on the season with wins over Long Island and Cal State Bakersfield. What have you seen from the the men's team um, making the pivot over there? They have held both opponents that they've played to under fifty points while scoring seventy and almost ninety. What uh, what can Utah fans expect now that you have two games under their belt? What is Craig Smith doing differently this season than maybe he had? Uh, based on personnel last season. Yeah, I don't even know if it's what Craig is doing differently. I think it's just more the the ability for him to be able to bring in talent, right? He went to the transfer portal in the offseason, and, and he brought in some guys that can be a little bit more of a playmaker for Utah. Uh, in, in, last year at this time, you know, pretty early on, there were still guys that were walk-ons that were getting a lot of run. Uh, you know, that, that, that depth on the bench wasn't really that deep, and so... Uh, that you know, in the games that that really mattered, and where Utah was, uh, you know, maybe close and kept it close, they 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 just ran out of guys. And so, this is this is one of those years where I think Utah can do a lot of things. They can they can be able to diversify in in how they approach it. Maybe you get your two bigs, you get Brandon Carlson, which is going to be your force in there. Uh, you get a Kabakata, uh, you get a uh, Ben Carlson, which that causes all sorts of confusions for me when I write. I have to write Ben Carlson or Brandon Carlson every time because it confuses me and then I look wrong. But, um, I, you know, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities there. And then you've got the small ball where you can get a Mike Saunders Jr. or you get Raleigh Wooster or you get, um, you know, Will Exact. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of different guys that Utah can move through. Uh, and be able to just kind of diversify and, and really hit with what's going on. Gabe Madsen had a great weekend. He had 25 points in a game, uh, did a lot of good things from three-point land. So this this is just a team that, look, I don't think they're necessarily going to be suddenly better overnight, but I think if this team can continue to gel and Craig Smith can continue to kind of get these guys to grow without injuries and, and all that, and obviously Marco Anthony is out, this is a team that I think could – at least improve its stock, right? Like maybe it gets up to the seventh, eighth spot, maybe even sixth spot if you're lucky, um, and at least give yourself a chance going into next year. Maybe, maybe you know, things go well for Utah and they run the table a little bit and, 
and kind of squeak into a higher uh, ranking in the Pac-12. But, you know, this is a team that's on the rise, I think. Uh, this is a team that's that's being able to put things together and, and kind of really show up for each other. It's just a matter of if they can do it in the right way with the right pieces. Uh, and, and this this team in Idaho State, they're coming off a four-point loss to BYU and Provo. So I, I wouldn't expect this game to be a, a walkover by any means for, for Utah fans. Uh, this this is a, a tougher opponent than maybe the first two teams that they faced and a team that's going to scrap until the end and, and, and fight. And so I think it is a good test for for Utah. It kind of seems like they've set up their schedule you know, quite perfectly, to be honest, in, in, in the teams getting more progressively difficult as they go and kind of giving their team a little bit of a warm up. But then, you know, I think I mean, it, it's a team that Utah should win against, but it's not a team that's going to be a pushover by any means. One of the big improvements from last season is Gabe Madsen. He's he was uh, had six three pointers the other day, twenty five a career high twenty five points. So I, I think that U- Utah and Craig Smith that they have options that they haven't had maybe in the past where they do have kind of a, a feed the hot hand mentality with different lineups. And you know, I, I I've seen Craig Smith kind of experience. Uh, experiment a little bit with, you know, a, a double big lineup and we'll kind of see how that progresses throughout the season. So if you're looking for something to do tonight, uh, six o'clock up at the Huntsman Center versus Idaho State, go check out the running units and uh, we'll see how they can do. Utah is 19 and 0 versus Idaho State at home. So uh, don't don't think that Utah should lose, but uh, I, I think it could be a, a close matchup. So we'll see. It's not going to be close. I'm just gonna say, yeah, it. you're Josh calling the upset. <laughs> Josh calling the the uh, the blowout. I guess. I, I uh, admittedly, we'll my track record's not great. Yesterday, I texted uh, somebody that works on the Utah staff uh, the score of the Green Bay Cowboys game at the end of the third quarter, and I was kind of tooting my horn a little bit that Cowboys were winning, and uh, we saw how that worked out. So, man, really the Packers, man. Aaron Rodgers still has a little bit left Aaron in the Rogers, tank. Aaron Rodgers, man, he he just hates the Cowboys apparently, and he kills my soul. So. Ah, man, whatever. Just don't don't listen to me. Don't bet. Don't listen to me. And uh, you'll probably have... Just, just go up to the Huntsman Center. <laughs> yeah. Check out the, the men's team tonight. Check out the women's team on Wednesday. And then, uh, yeah, uh, kind of leave it there. That's, that's it. We appreciate it. So... Um, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we always appreciate you listening to us and, and, and taking the time to, to put us part of your day. Uh, you know, once again, as we always say, like if there's anything that you feel like you, you want us to talk about or, or anything that, that would give you insight on the program, we're happy to chat about it. So uh, thanks again for listening to us, and we will catch you again later. Have a great one.